Welcome to Inside Groove, the only motorsports show where super modifieds are king, methanol is aromatic, and the drivers carry their balls in a bag. Inside Groove is powered by IPC Indy, creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Here's your host and fellow superholic, Race Chaser Media's Tom Baker. Welcome to another Inside Groove podcast for this week. My name is Tom Baker. Camden Proud will be joining us a little bit later on in the program. Wanted to do something a little bit different this week. We have Jim Gray with us, and we are going to start right off and have a conversation with another one of our legends of the Oswego Speedway, Jim, a Canadian who relocated to Oswego and uh, really enjoyed, I think, a, a very colorful and uh, fairly long career racing at the Speedway. Jim, welcome to Inside Groove. It is great to have you. I'm going to say it's great to have you back because you and I did this a few times on the old Inside Groove show years ago on Star 105.5 in Oswego. It's good to be back with you again and uh, hope you and Sally and the family are doing well. We are, Tom, and it's great to chat with you again. Well, looking forward to um, having a, a conversation this morning. I'm interested in going all the way back to the very beginning with you. Can you tell me uh, how did you first come to know the Oswego Speedway, and how did it come to be that uh, you were going to race at the Oswego Speedway? Well, Tom, I grew up in Toronto, and uh, my dad took me to Oakwood Stadium, Pinecrest, and the uh, C&E. I uh, got the bug, I guess, at that point, and decided I could do it if they could. Of course, little did I know. <laughs> but um, that was in the uh, 50s and early 60s, and um, I uh, uh, thought I'd get started, and I decided to buy a car, and I bought it from Mike Stone, a Canadian. Okay. And I uh, shared a garage with him, and I uh, put that first one together, and we went to Flamborough. Um, after that, I thought, well, i got to expand this, and I had dreams, of course, of, uh, as a young guy of going to Indy and all that, so it had to be USAC, so I thought, well, the sprint car's next. So I built a sprint car in Toronto in, the, in Mike Stone's garage and uh, brought it to a Oswego, figuring I'll go URC racing and get some experience. I came to a Oswego at that point. That would have been about 1967, I think. And uh, I couldn't believe when I first walked into the Oswego Speedway how big it was. Compared to Flamford and some of these <laughs> other places, Oswego was mammoth. Uh, but you end up learning, you know, you, you think you can, and I think the enthusiasm is the, is the key thing, because if you were being rational about it, you likely would have uh, turned and gone away at that point. But uh, it was exciting, and they say folks like Mike got me started, uh, Doug Duncan helped me out. Two other people along the way that I need to mention, uh, Steve Joya Sr., uh, Steve Miller, uh, Skip Matzak, Norm Hagen, Ken Reese, and, of course, Jim Folito and Harvey Fink played big parts in getting me where I got to be. Absolutely. Yeah, you were uh, you, you had quite a history, so you actually started more or less with a sprint car. At a swiggle, yes. Wow. Um, uh, it, uh, one thing, I wasn't really, ex- I, was, I had no experience, and I can remember coming out of turn two and thinking I was getting it done, likely going about 30 seconds a lap or something, I don't know what it was, and uh, Bentley Warren went by me on the outside, driving a little 21, the white with the black number, the oh, yeah. car, I think it was, 
And his left front was so high in the air, I think it cleared the top of my cage. And I think he laughed <laughs> twice the time I got to turn three. And I thought, what am I doing here? But, you know, you learn. Um, you persist, and uh, a lot of people helped and taught me things, and, uh, you know, it got better. Talk a little bit about the early days for you of kind of, I know that you you had a, you, you started with a sprint car. When did you get your first Roadster? What was your first experience with an actual super modified car? Uh, and that would have been the Norm Hagen uh, car at that time, which was the Gordy, ex-Gordy Dukes, with a fin on the back of it. Okay. And uh, that was the one, Norm, I guess Gordy must have won, maybe, the, I think that was a 65 classic winning car, not positive. And uh, Norm had had a fire in that one in the back street there before I bought it. And um, I uh, found out it was for sale, and I thought the sprint car wasn't going to be the best answer for a swiggle. And so I went to see Norm and made a deal and bought the car, and we uh, repainted it. And of course, that made it go faster, of course. Yeah. But, uh, no, we, uh, <laughs> we, uh, we, uh, we enjoyed that. And, and it taught me a lot. And, and it, you know, it's just all about getting experience and getting laps and getting comfortable. And that car certainly helped me get along the way. You were, uh, as we went into the 70s, you ended up racing with Norm um, in the Blue 31. I think you were teammates with Brian Herb at that time. Um, And then you kind of had a period where you started racing for other owners, but at the same time you had a rear-engine car that you were also running and had built. Talk a little bit about that period of time you you built the rear engine car, I think, after, or maybe you were building it during the Norm Hagen period there. But then you, you ran a little bit for Steve Miller. You, um, and then ran your own car and ended up, I think, somewhere around seventy four, maybe seventy five, running for Skip Matzik a little bit in the Limblad car. You, so it was kind of three different types of cars in a very short period of time for you. Uh, yeah, there were a lot of different things going on. I bought the rear engine car. It was an ex-Watson, Mike Mosley-driven car, I think about a 1968 oh, okay. Watson. And that, uh, I bought that from them in Horseheads, and that was shortly after, was it Hurricane Hazel or whatever one of the big hurricanes was. And when I got there uh, and brought it home, the thing weighed uh, 900 or more pounds when we uh, got it into the truck. What I found out when I got back home, it was full of mud. Oh, wow. Uh, it was flooded. It was under 8 or 10 feet of water Yikes. for a while. And, uh, so we uh, we started to build that. Uh, in the meantime, though, we'd been, uh, we ran for Norm Hagen in 74, I believe. No, 73. And we went to uh, uh, Florida with him in spring of 74. And then I, I left him and joined Skip Matzak for 74, and he had the Badger. That was an interesting car, very, very light. It was extremely powerful, it had well over 500 cubic inches of engine, and uh, it was a massive handful to drive. It had independent front, which uh, hadn't been fully developed, I guess I could say, so it, it kept one's uh, width about one to, to uh, keep it going in a straight line. Um, after Matzak in 74, I was without a ride, and uh, I got uh, a call from Don Wilcox, who lives in Fulton. Uh, uh, yeah, and he said Kenny Reese was in town and didn't have a driver and was looking for a driver. And I thought, wow, he's calling me. Yeah, <laughs> I, I was shocked and surprised. And he said, come on down to the field by, by the speedway and meet Kenny and see what happens. So I drove down, met Kenny, and 
he asked me if I wanted to have the ride, and I had to, uh, you know, uh, restrain myself because I thought this was a glorious opportunity. <laughs> yeah, and, for sure. uh, uh, that that ended up going well. First night didn't. We uh, blew a head gasket, I think, in warm, so didn't run. And the second night, we were involved in a, a bit of a skirmish off turn four, somebody else's accident. We got involved in, and so that took care of that night. And the third night, we. Uh, because we were low in points, we started on the front for Heat Semien feature, and we were able to win the feature that night, and uh, it was one of the best uh, cars I'd ever driven, and uh, uh, I appreciate what Kenny had done for me. What was it like to actually take the checkered flag at the feature? What were you thinking as you crossed the line after all those years of kind of giving it your best shot to finally win a feature at the Oswego Speedway? It's very exciting, and it's also very humbling, because it, you don't get there on your own, and you kind of have to pay your dues, and um, you have to be blessed. That all of those things have to happen. And I remember, uh, I forget who was spun. No, it was Norm Acker spun in his Badger on the 37th lap. And um, I'd been struggling to get by Freddie Graves for some reason. I think I was being overcautious. And um, that put me back on the front again. And uh, But here you are with you know less than a dozen laps to go, and eight Champagne and Bellinger and all the guys that were giants. Uh, right behind you. So I uh, say the car was uh, was awesome, and um, I was able to get it uh, the checkered flag before they got me. And uh, as I say, I think it's uh, it just things like what Kenny did for me. It, he didn't have to. He, he could have had a, a hundred other guys drive the car, but I was really blessed to have him. You know, uh, offer me the chance, and uh, it, it came out well. It was funny because just before I happened to pull out some programs this morning to read over breakfast as I do a lot of times and I I pulled out the program where uh, it was the week that you first brought the car out when you um, had the engine problem and warm-ups and Ivor the driver had said that you know you were in the car but I hear that Bob Stelder will be moving over. It's funny to look back at things like that. It's like, nope, didn't happen. Um, you know, and, and good for you that it didn't, obviously, because that was the car that led you to your first win. It had to be uh, had to be a real amazing thing to drive a car with you know that was that good after you know the previous few years. Not that the cars you were driving were poor cars, but they were just different and kind of experimental. And this was a car that was sort of current with its time and you know capable of running up front against all of the big guys well as i believe uh, i understand on that that paul baumhauer had been in the car earlier in the season because yeah. uh, i get it in july yep and um i think he'd won with it i believe todd gibson had been in it and i believe he'd won with it so uh you know and kenny was uh, a talented driver in his own right and ex- of course an extremely good builder and uh, so the car had all the potential in the world, and uh, so you, you had to make the best you could of this opportunity, but you didn't want to overdo it, and I think that's one of the things I thought of during that feature win was uh, for an, uh, quite a few laps, I didn't see anybody. And it was odd because you come down the front straight, the fans are full in the grandstand, and sure. Norm Hagen on the starter stand, and nothing's happening. It's like a time trial, but I guess... Some of them were held up, and this was, of course, a rainout uh, race. It had rained out a big storm on Saturday night, and of course, it was junk on the high and the low of the track. So, it was sort of a one-groove track, and of course, that was to my advantage, being at the front. Yep. Um, but I think everybody, if you're given the opportunity, you've got to do everything you possibly can to make use of it. And uh, 
say that was a, an awesome blessing, and I say I think it made Kenny happy. Uh, I think maybe that was his first win at Oswego. If I'm not sure, I'm not sure, but I think it was. And um, so I say it worked out very well. And uh, it was a short season; we only ran that season with it. Uh, but um, it was uh, a great enjoyment while we had it. Well, you definitely uh, did a great job with it, and uh, you're right. That was Kenny's uh, first and only win at Oswego, and you were the one to give it to him, which was awesome. Um, you know, you, you kind of went through a period after that where you uh, you ran, uh, again, some different cars, uh, Steve Miller uh, again a little bit, and uh, your own car a little bit, and, you know, just kind of bounced around. I think you were back with Skip maybe for um, a, a short period of time. Um, and so you kind of went through some shuffles, and then you ended up, coming back home so to speak with um tony osetic with the double zero and um you know and doing some more driving in that car and during that time and i want to get you to talk about this as a driver because 75 76 i think are two were two of the most competitive years in speedway history in terms of just the depth of competition and so to be able to run up front in a competitive car during that time must have been a real thrill yeah, it really was, um, and anything I say here is certainly not to demean anybody nowadays, because the guys are just as talented, and uh, the car's going a lot faster. Uh, young guys getting in cars and uh, getting into the uh, 16s, or, yeah. and uh, now, of course, they're flirting with the 15, they're into the 15s, so uh, times have changed, uh, but so have the cars, and I think like a Todd Gibson would be just as competitive today if he was a young guy. But, uh, yeah, things did uh, change quite a bit for me. Um, I did go back with Skip Matzak for Classic in 76. I yep. uh, had some troubles. Uh, uh, Steve Miller was always uh, wonderful to me. Uh, great friend still today. And, um, you know, I uh, uh, wish I could have done better for him. But uh, I think we're great friends. And he's had a very interesting career himself and as an owner. Uh, yeah, we came back with uh, Tony Asetic in uh, 1978. And this was the... Kenny Reese car again. Yep. The frame was still bent from an accident they had when I lost the left rear at Star at the end of 75. Ah. And the frame hadn't been straightened, but we just adjusted around it. And I think one of the biggest keys I could mention for the successes we had that year uh, was when we went out for warm-ups, heat, semi, or concert, or whatever, anything short of a feature, we always put the same amount of fuel in the car, every single time. And we'd sit there and wait to go out until the green was out and cars were going fast. And the reason for this was then when we pushed it off, we could get on it right away. This was all for classic time travel, so we could get you oh. on it and getting up to speed as fast as we possibly could. And it resulted in a blessing of a, a fifth fastest time for classic that year. So, I mean, this was, uh, we were, I think, an underfunded team, um, but enthusiastic. And, um, you know, it's uh, part of the... Uh, history that uh, led to the current aesthetic uh, uh, great accomplishments that they're having with their cars now. Uh, Tony's family, uh, I think the kids learned a lot from him, and uh, it's awesome to see them uh, enjoying the sport of the Swiggle like I did. Oh, for sure. And and uh, you, you two, you and Tony built uh, the 69 car for, I think, 79, which was the yeah. first offset 
that that uh, you guys put together, and it looked like that car had a ton of potential. And I, it, I'm curious, was there a reason behind the number change? Because it, it was only a one-year thing, and it was right back to the double zero look again. I don't know that. I never talked to Tony about it. Um, but, yeah, he chose that number, and he painted it white with orange, which was fine with me. It looked great. Colors. Uh, it, we never got it. Where it could have gone, I think, and I'm certainly not saying he didn't. Uh, I'm just saying it just didn't get, we didn't get it to the point where all the potential was wrung out of it. So it, it, um, there was more on the table for that. And then we blew the engine shortly before Classic, two or three weeks before Classic, so there were no funds to put a new engine in it. So that took care of Classic for that year. But I definitely, Tony's one of the guys there that, uh, also uh, really helped me because uh, you know he's the one that uh, provided me with that double zero again and uh, I think we both enjoyed a lot that season earlier because yeah. uh, we had we had it going fairly nicely for a relatively old car and uh, that was enjoyable it sure was and and then you you kind of had you had a, uh, a couple of of cars one in particular that you built that was sort of an upright sprint car style kind of car and I've always wanted to know what was the thinking behind the creation of that car I know that Ed McAuliffe had a car that was kind of similar actually two of them I guess with uh, Ray Sand um, what was the what was the method of thinking in terms of engineering I because I, I know you were always that engineering type and you always were thinking about you know what could what was the next thing and so I was always fascinated when you brought out a, a car especially that particular car because I really wanted to, to understand what was behind that well, yeah, that was interesting, and uh, you say we weren't the first to try this type of thing. Right. Um, we didn't. Again, we didn't get it quite right. I think there was a lot of potential, but uh, we made some mistakes. But uh, the, the, the real thinking was this: the only thing that was uh, up in the air slightly, even, was the driver. And part of that was for cockpit space, and a part of it was for vision. Uh, sprint cars sitting upright, I, I preferred an upright. I don't think I'd be nearly as comfortable in today's supers lying down almost. Um, so also, if you looked at that, the frontal area was less because a sprint car is fairly narrow, and the engine was uh, overlapped into the cockpit, so to speak, so the driveline just tight to the left frame rails. Okay. So you really had a smaller frontal area than a lot of cars did. And so, uh, and the fuel was on the left side. Um, it was a flat 22-gallon cell. It wasn't going to be big enough for classic, but we figured we could hit. And, uh, you know, we'd do a fuel, quick fuel deal and, and get it done. But we didn't stay with that long enough either. And I think I should say that one of the things that didn't help my career at all was sometimes going out on these limbs and investigating areas and trying different things. Uh, I think in advice to kids today would be save your money the best you can and buy the best known vehicle that you can get your hands on. And when you get better than that vehicle, then maybe you're you're, you're ready to try you know, some kind of uh, doing it on your own. But uh, it was it was exciting. Uh, a huge long torque arm way up towards the front, so we could get more weight uh, picked up and uh, not to lift the front off the ground. But these things, you know, I think were exciting concepts and. Uh, you know, if I were ever going to do it again, which I'm definitely not, I'd be interested <laughs> to, to try some of these things over again. Well, 
it was, you know, that's, to me, that's what made Super Modifieds what they were, though, back in that time period, was everybody was experimenting, and you had so much innovation, um, you know, and yet it didn't seem like it was so much about just flat dollars and cents. You could build something that was slightly different that didn't necessarily cost a whole lot more than what you were building before. Um, And something like that, to me, you know, you had one, Bobby Stelder tried one, you know, I think probably the 18 cars were the ones that made that sort of upright um, you know, work the best and, and, but I, I do feel like that was a concept particularly because, you know, poor Ray ended up crushing both of his pretty hard. Um, you know, it never, I don't know that that particular design ever got to its full, um, potential because, you know, each of you for different reasons, you know, kind of didn't have the, the, the success that you might've wanted to, but Ray definitely showed a lot of potential with that. Yeah, I, I, I don't think it was a wrong idea, but uh, uh, nobody proved it to be the ultimate. And right. of course, there, there never will be the ultimate car. Sure. Just, it, it's smart. They, guys get smarter, and they, they get more technical, and uh, you know they have more history and more knowledge to be able to do things in a smarter fashion. But I think one of the things I enjoyed back then was there were basically no mass-produced cars. And again, nothing against the Holinskys or the Hawksbys or the Graves or whatever that have um, built multiple cars. And that's part of the nature of the beast in, in the era that we're in. But sure. in the older days there, everybody basically built their own. Or if, if you did get a, bought something from somebody else, it would be only the second car. For instance, like in the Hagen case, uh, that the they ended up being numbered 31 for me with the first one was the uh, the Gibson car which yep. Norm had driven and yep. then secondly uh, the Brian Herb car ended up being a, a 31 as well um, but uh, there's a case of uh, team cars which were quite similar uh, but there were very few teams in the ancient days it was more of individual guys and quite often it was owner builders in the older days yeah. whereas nowadays there's a, quite a few guys that are driving for someone and that's not wrong it's just again the way that things have gone and uh, you need a lot more money today than you did in the older days which is a shame but i do like the technology but i don't i hate it in the one sense because it 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 does some difficult things to the racing it raises the cost drastically but it technology has always been a, a challenge a fun challenge to get involved in to think of what would happen if i tried this and so on but uh it, it, it was great in the day, and I say it was a lot of fun, and it was great to see what other people did and compare your your ideas with theirs. Yeah, it was uh, definitely an interesting time, and I think you know back then you had you know drivers going from car to car frequently. You had a lot of owners putting different drivers in their cars, like Steve used to, or Hermie Graff, or you know some mm-hmm. of those guys from back in those days. And, and you're right, technology is a blessing and a curse. I mean, certainly from a safety standpoint, I think we can all agree that. We're we're really oh, yeah. thankful for for technological advancement in that area um you know because looking back um you know the 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 you look at some of the older cars and you say wow those guys were really brave and then maybe part of you says those guys were nuts well yeah at the time you you didn't think of it and also at the time if you're going back to the late 60s into the 70s 
um, in the 60s for sure, uh, there were no fuel cells. Yeah. And guys were wearing single-layer cotton uniforms. There was no Nomex, and there were no full-space helmets, and uh, there were headrests were just one little piece of uh, padding behind your yeah. head, and there was nothing around the sides. You know, it, it was very, very, very dangerous. I mean, not that it isn't dangerous today, but it was extremely dangerous in those days. Cars were way fast enough to get into trouble. And, for instance, the Duke's car, when I bought it, was only a month or so after Norman had the fire, and there was still no fuel cell in it. They just walled it up the tank the way it had been, and, you know, life went on. And, uh, so, But you didn't think of those things, whereas looking back now, um, it, it's almost scary to think of the things, the risks that people took, and that was everyday living in those days. So, I mean, it was exciting to be involved in those days. I think it was a wonderful time to be involved as far as if you could eliminate the danger yeah. at the moment and, and say, look, the racing was very exciting. Guys were coming from all over, from the they West were. Coast. Yeah. And, you know, from Canada, every weekend there were, you know, almost a dozen guys or so would come from Canada. And then there were all the Ohio and Michigan and New England guys. So it was a, quite a, uh, a hodgepodge of people from everywhere and ideas and challenge and you know, uh, quite often uh, the fields were, you know, well over 36 cars. I can remember one time a 20-car Concy. Can you believe 20-car oh, yes. Concy? I mean, yep. 10 laps, six are going to qualify, they throw the green, and you better get going yeah. because uh, you don't have time to wait. And it was great for the fans and extremely challenging for the drivers, but it, it was part of the era. You know, you didn't, there was no free lunch. You had to qualify, and you better bring your A game every week because otherwise you weren't going to make it. You were going to go home. That's so, exactly right. Yeah, I get it. It's, it's funny because, again, you go back and look through old programs, and there was one where Ivor was kind of bemoaning the fact that, uh, you know, the fields were only about 30 cars. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, today we would do jumping jacks, you know, and do backflips down the front straightaway if we hit 30 cars on a, on a, on a weeknight, um, you know, Saturday night regular race. So it's pretty uh, amazing to think about how your perspective changes over the years as the times did. And, and you know, the other thing that, that I always think about is the camaraderie back then. I mean, you guys, the, the whole kind of fraternity of drivers, not to say that there isn't still some of that today, but it's just a much different attitude in the pits, I think, than it was back then. You guys all used to go out and, you know, party after the races or whatever. And, you know, everybody was there to help everybody else. It just seemed like it was genuinely a good time in the middle of obviously trying to be serious and win a race. Yeah, it was a great time. And they say there was a lot of camaraderie and a lot of fun. And um, it it, uh, it wasn't nearly as serious as it is today. And I think uh, possibly the dollars invested today makes it more serious and the sure. technology. Um, the amount of time it took to maintain, quotation marks, a car in those days was much less. Uh, you know, nobody was stripping their cars completely. Whereas Nowadays, with the technology and so many things you need to look at, and the very strong but lightweight parts and independent front front ends and so forth, you need to make sure that everything is perfect on these cars. And um, so now it, it's a major job for a number of people all week long to get them ready. Uh, whereas, I say, in the older days, uh, one night, or if you really wanted to go through things in a big way in the old days, uh, two nights got a lot of the work done. So... It was. It, I liked that better because you didn't have to marry the car. Sure. Uh, um, but I, I think if we could have had now, if we could have yesterday's look and yesterday's technology with today's safety, you really might have something that was exciting.
Yeah, I I agree. I I do. And it's kind of one of those things where it's hard sometimes when you say that because then, you know, some people say, "Well, there you go complaining." No, it's just it, it that there is a a concept here that that we could have some of the look and some of the, you know, with and still be safe and still go fast and still have fun and, you know, it uh, it, it I think that's one reason I'm I'm so excited about the 350 class because although obviously they're not, you know, looking like the 70s or whatever, at least it it, it seems to be an opportunity for some of the you know the 90s cars uh, to be able to come out of garages and and you know more people to compete at a slightly less um, expensive price tag and have fun doing it everybody I talked to that was racing in that class uh, I talked to several of the guys classic weekend and um, you know and of course our guys throughout the season and everybody said man these cars are so much fun they pass well they do kind of dirty little cars they're just a lot of fun to drive and that you know that seems to be um, a class that has the potential to to grow immensely, and I think hopefully produce some more drivers for the big block class down the road. Yeah, I think it has a lot of potential, and it's merit. Um, it does allow folks that uh, can't economically, yeah. let's say, or perhaps time wise, can't throw their hat in the ring for a, for a big block super, and um, and I think it's a good thing to have. Uh, more of the same flavor of supers and uh, opening the door to more folks and like you said maybe some of them will move up to big block supers eventually but in the meantime i think it's a fun class i I think it puts on a great show i think as it grows uh, and more people get involved i think car count will help the racing be even more exciting because it, it tends when there aren't enough cars or not very many cars uh, it tends to be more follow the leader because nobody's catching anybody, whereas when you've got more cars, it gets to the point where passing has to happen. Leaders will be faster than the, the back end usually, and that leads to more passing, which to me, passing is what makes it exciting. Yeah. That's what makes uh, you know Martinsville, to me, just as exciting or more so than Talladega sure. for, for the Monster Energy guys. So um, I think it's a good thing, and uh, I hope um, somebody will get really up in front there and start beating the drum for it, you know, really encouraging others and helping others get involved, and um, I hope the track can help keep pushing it, and maybe they can build a bridge with New England so that they can have some uh, more uh, back and forth with them, maybe not, you know, they don't want to steal cars nightly, but, uh, you know, if they could have uh, one, two, three, four, whatever bigger races a year, uh, where, you know, maybe Oswego would all travel down there at some point, and maybe they'd all travel up here at some point, so... Like Classic has always been throughout the years, but yeah. I think it's an exciting new class. Absolutely. You finished your career, um, I think probably to some people's surprise, you finished your career on the dirt. You kind of introduced dwarf car racing to the central New York area, um, and I think, you know, at that time, obviously, those were extremely economical little cars, kind of retro and really cool-looking, and, you know, I think your vision was more or less, um, you know... Let's not worry about racing for money here. Let's just go race and have a good time. Um, I'm not sure, unfortunately, that that uh, some of those who's, who who uh, superseded you have shared that same vision. But nonetheless, um, it was a great idea for its time, and and it seemed like you just really had a lot of fun with that concept. Well, yeah, it was great. Um, Why Sally and I went to uh, Florida a couple of times or a number of times in the winter, and one of the 
places we went. We were there with Volusia Speedway, and they had dwarf cars. And I thought to myself, this could go well in New York. Uh, fast, fun, affordable, you know, relatively inexpensive, uh, low maintenance, and uh, you could get an exciting ride out of it. And I thought if we could keep the cost down and push safety, um, we might have something. But, of course, getting a car, which I did, I bought one from my pickup truck, put it in the back, and brought it back to New York. No, that's fine. I got a car. Now what am I going to do? <laughs> but uh, I met with Jimmy Ferlito and Harvey Fink at Brewerton, and they were phenomenally um, instrumental in, in getting this to go, to giving um, myself and others an opportunity to see if we could start this and see if we could make it go and provide some excitement for their fans. And it, it did grow. And um, I think it was the fact that guys that didn't want to take the time, they were too busy or they didn't want to spend the money uh, on a bigger car, and in those days you could get a pretty good car for a pretty low price. And I think that's what made it go. And um, I, there were a lot of great people there that helped, because at first uh, we actually had meetings before uh, the opening of racing at Burden each night, and one of the things in the earliest days were, hey guys, remember, we can't go racing flat out, we got to sell the show. And, you know, it's hard to get guys that want to race and go flat out. Yeah. But the deal was, if you've been leading for two laps, you better start slowing down because you better let somebody pass you because it's not winning here that counts. It's making it look exciting. And the guys bought into that. And I'm so happy for it and so proud of those guys. Uh, you know, Pat Pontello and, uh, uh, well, Dave Wright was big at pushing and Troy Van Allen, uh, uh, Frankie Dahl, and the list goes on and on. Yeah. But those guys really helped build it. And, of course, Harvey thinks support of this, allowing us to, to get this going. Uh, yeah, it did change. Um, our philosophy was to try and make it safer and safer, but keep the cost down. Um, don't uh, make them high-tech. Uh, we needed to keep working on the safety. They still do even to today, but especially in the early days. Oh, yeah. Uh, it, it was, it was a, a fun thing. Uh, it was, I think its time was, was right at the time. It, um, it had, there was a place for it, and we were able to, with a lot of help, um, you know, get it going. Nick Diorio from the Five Mile Point area, and the goal was to try and spread it like dirt. We ended up with uh, Thunder Mountain, Five Mile Point, Afton, uh, Freedom, um, you know, and on and on. Uh, and we went to Weedsport. Um, so th there were a number of tracks we got it going. We went to Fulton, and the goal was to try and build, you know, a class at each at each uh, raceway. And we had it started, but uh, you know, it's you can't stay with it forever and. Uh, the vision others had after I left it was a little different, and so be it. I mean, yeah. that's maybe what it's maybe healthy. You know, I mean, you can't stay in the old days, um, but you got to think carefully before you make rule changes. And you know, will they be safer? And will it be right uh, cheap? And will it make the show better? Absolutely. So, well, you. But it's still going. It is. Something must be right. Yeah, and yeah. that's uh, you know, and I I always I always thought it was a fun little class in the, in the modelites. Uh, you know, very much a competitive class today, and you know it's a, it's it's a great way to, um, you know, a lot of younger drivers coming up out of the smaller cars have have kind of passed through mod lights. Andrew Shartner being one of them, who, you know, yep. has certainly proven himself at the Fast Five Ace in the uh, small block super class, um, and really just needs somebody to give him an opportunity in a competitive big block for him to prove himself there too. I think, but. You you know you just uh, you had a really neat career and I think as a as a young 
impressionable not i i never was really a gearhead but i was really a, a racing head and as a young impressionable racing head uh i always enjoyed watching you and following you a because you were a great guy and you you treated me um accordingly but then b um because you were always kind of trying something different. I, I remember the rear engine car well. Um, you know, I, I remember obviously the, the last little upright car there and, and you, you know, you had a, uh, a good car to finish your career at Oswego in the, uh, the X Ferlito show car, uh, chassis, but you had the yep. bad wreck and it seemed like you just kind of said maybe it's time to, um, you know, this is a, a point where I need to just call it a career. Am I somewhat accurate with that? Yeah, we had that car for three years, yeah. and um, uh, we had a number of things. We, Sal and I, of course, had uh, our uh, children, Mike and Stacy, and they were getting older. And um, my job at Nine Mile was taking more of my time, and I think that's one of the things. I'm uh, another one of my blessings was I somehow I I didn't go a hundred percent into the racing. I still kept trying to do. Uh, things at home and things, uh, you know, like for work, and sure. that was a great job for Swigo area to be able to work at Nine Mile was a was an awesome blessing, and so I I had to look after those things, and that shortened my efforts on, on the racetrack, you know, at least in the garage area, and I wasn't as willing to spend as much money as I had on it, so it came to the point where you know that. Uh, we were kind of, if I can say this way, cheating on the race car yeah. uh, with uh, so many other things. Uh, we did have that accident, but uh, we um, uh, built a new car. My brother-in-law, Robin Himple, and I put together a, a new car for 1983. Um, it was not a bad car. Uh, it was relatively good, but on a budget. But uh, by the end of that year, I knew that, look, I'm the, this is getting more technical, and um, guys are spending more and more money. And I'm not willing to ante up anymore. It's time for me to say thank you very much. And um, so we decided at the end of '83 we would uh, we would retire from Supers, and uh, um, I'm, I'm comfortable with the decision and happy for it. And I I, um, I had a I have to say a, a blessed career. I came out of it with uh, you know uh, no humongous injuries, uh, a couple of dollars still in the pocket, and um, family still intact. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think you can get much better out of that, out, out of racing than that. And so I was very happy for it. And it was great. It was a, a wonderful time, although I say very dangerous, but it was a wonderful time to be involved because of all the different people that came from everywhere. Sure. You'd read in speed sport in those days about so-and-so winning here or there, you know, in Louisiana. Right. Or dominating in British Columbia. And then these same guys that you'd read about would show up at Oswego, and by being in speed sport, that made them a hero. And, you know, I mean, these were these were big time guys. You oh yeah. That guy fourth, and I thought, wow, this is you know really something to be able to compete against these guys. And I say, the people that helped me on the ladder um, of racing, I'm sure the list goes on and on. And I'm sorry if I've slighted anybody, I've forgotten anybody, but there were so many people that stepped up for me, offered me this, gave me a ride, uh, helped me with something or other. Uh, you know, uh, parts, uh, Bill Marsh would machine something for me, and, and on and on and on. So it, it was, it's a very family, as you mentioned. It was uh, fun. Um, people did things away from the racetrack together, which was cool, and it was a different time, and I guess I'd have to say, if I had to pick a time to be involved in Oswego, 
uh, I'm very happy that that was my time to, to go through this with the Speedway. Uh, great people, great times. And it seemed like Sally just really wanted to try her hand at racing, and she never got to do that. Until. Until. She she she, she ran the dwarf car. One oh, she did? <laughs> she did. Tell, and, uh, tell us about uh, that. Well, I, I, I think she found it. She, she was uh, uh, interested enough to give it a whirl. Uh, she was, uh, you know, uh, I don't think she ever had visions of, uh, doing it full time all the time and trying to uh, push Janet Guthrie out of the limelight or anything like that. Yeah. But uh, she she did it the one time and I think uh, she found it quite an interesting experience, um, a new appreciation for the san- insanity and and the difficulty <laughs> of what racers go through. And uh, but no, I I was happy for her. She you know she had a, a fun time with it. But uh, I think one night said you know I've done that now that's that's enough and so on we went. Well, that was <laughs> that's interesting. I did not know that. I I just remember yeah. even as a even as a kid reading, you know, you used to have the driver's wives' big question. I think one time it was, you know, would you like to race against your husband? And Sally's like, oh yeah, you know, like that would be great. I just thought, what a concept, you know. I had no idea, and I don't think well, obviously back then there weren't that many women racers, uh, you know, in that day, and so I I just always remembered that, and I think somewhere along the line it came up again later in some conversation or other and then you know you went to the dwarf car and i thought well maybe we'll see the the and, the, and i didn't realize that ever actually happened well that's cool at least she got to get out there and experience it yeah uh, um, dirt was different than than the pavement oh, of course uh, i thought i thought it was a lot of fun i i found that entirely different things you had to do to a car but one of the things that was exciting is you could do things on the dirt um, that would really affect the car and what we did when we built uh, Frankie Dahl's car for instance is we we did some inexpensive things we used uh, uh, art store shocks on that car not racing shocks and so we oh, did wow. a lot of things that were very inexpensive but it was where you put the pieces and parts and uh, you know the layout of the car that was critical um, that was one of the first cars to have an inch and a half cage in it inch and a half 095 whereas a lot of the others were running uh, inch and three-eighths or even inch and a quarter, 065. So we tried to build safe cars, and but to try and do things and um, you know that wouldn't change the, the format of the class. I think later on, the technology and the dollars uh, came in and yeah. kind of obsoleted uh, that approach. But it was, it was exciting to be able to do that at the time. And uh, so another enjoyment. Absolutely. Well, uh, you know, again, as a, I always make sure that uh, I I let these the, you guys know that we're kind of the early days. That you know how much you know, I think you you kind of do what you do and you have fun at it. And then you know, all these years later, somebody like me looks and goes, "You know what? If it weren't for all of you guys, my childhood would have been way less interesting and exciting." So we, you know, we really uh, want to say thank you for everything that you did all the time and the effort and and. Uh, uh, everything that you gave to the sport and and still do um and you know we appreciate obviously the the opportunity to watch you run and i just remember being so excited the night that you won because of course you had worked with my dad and and it was kind of you and jim muldoon yep. and and joe hawksby were all kind of um extra special guys that i cheered for because of those connections right but and ronnie wallace to a point his dad knew him well too but um but it was so much fun to see you win that feature and you know the Again, no matter what else, at the end of the day, you did it, and you tasted victory lane, and there aren't 
you know, the, the number of drivers who actually set foot onto the track at Oswego over the decades that it's been there, compared to the number of drivers who've ever won, you're on a pretty short list. Well, it's to say, it, it's all a blessing. Uh, I've been blessed all the way through my life, and I, I've realized it, uh, you know, after, more after racing than even during, but uh, um, life has been wonderful for me. Uh, the people on and off the track that I've met that have uh, just uh, done wonderful things for me and, and in my life. And um, so I say, to, to have that, I say, I, it's humbling. Um, uh, but I say, one really has to point to all the support because very, very, well, nobody that I know of there was totally self-made. Even a, a giant like Jim Champlain had some wonderful people working with him. Absolutely. And, uh, so, so you know, we can't stand there and say I did this and I did that. That's not the way it is. It's it's a we of anything, and um, and I say it's family. It's your wife and your children and you know your friends and you know supporters and and, and everybody else. Yep. It, it's a great big group that have come to Oswego Speedway, the hub, uh, from all over and enjoyed times there and exciting times there and uh, challenging times there and uh, it. it and say I I feel very blessed to have had the opportunities and to have gone through that place, uh, so to speak, at the time when I did. To me, that was some of the highlight, uh, high points of Oswego Speedway. It was back in those days with all the competition and um, great people arriving. Well, it certainly was a great uh, ride for you, and uh, appreciate your friendship uh, on going here, and appreciate the time that you took uh, with us today to uh, talk with us on the Inside Groove, and uh, certainly wish you and Sally and the family uh, all of the best health-wise, and uh, just enjoy life going forward, and hopefully we'll talk again at some point down the road. Tom, thank you very, very much for having me on and uh, for your friendship throughout the years. Uh, take care of yourself. All right. That is Jim Gray. And, of course, uh, this interview, as always, being brought to you by IPCindy.com, uh, premier composite design and manufacturing company creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. You can find them on the web at IPCindy.com, and obviously go follow them on their social media, and if you see Jeff West or any member of his staff that you know, thank them for making this show possible uh, as our uh, presenting sponsor. Jeff has done a lot for the show, and we really appreciate uh, everything that he has done and obviously appreciate the, the opportunity to talk with Jim Gray this morning as well. As we continue with Inside Groove for this week, we now turn our attention to another driver who is of the more current variety, and in fact, it could be argued as the hottest driver in supermodified racing right now. We have Tyler Thompson joining us on this week's episode. Tyler, fresh off another big-time win in the MSS Fall Brawl at... Uh, Lucas Oil Raceway Park in Indianapolis. Tyler, welcome back to the program. It seems like uh, you're becoming more and more of a regular these days. Uh, first of all, what was it like just to go out there and run at Lucas Oil Raceway Park, never mind win the thing? Um. Well, I didn't really know what to expect because I heard a whole lot of things that the track's really, really big. Uh, people usually run like... Uh, three four foot off the wall then i heard other people run the bottom so uh i kind of went out there and practiced and i just ran the middle just to see how the track was and uh 
I will have to say uh, that was probably one of the tracks that I actually uh, I'm really have um, I have to drive it. <laughs> okay, so it's a very uh, it's a very challenging track for a driver. Yeah, because the track uh, changes here and there, and uh, um, depending on your car, because the preferred line is the top, obviously, to uh, keep the momentum up and stuff. Okay. But if you're too free, you can't really do that, and obviously, if you're too tight, you can't do that. Um, in the feature, we were uh, on the uh, tight side, so I was actually driving them through the bottom, and uh and that was the way to go. Well, it certainly seemed to pay off for you uh, getting another big win. Uh, what's what's it like for you to now have two of the bigger wins in super modified racing? I mean, you've the last maybe two, three months of the year have just been absolutely incredible for you. Yeah, these last uh, three months have truly been a dream season for us. Um, We've also put in a whole lot of work, all my crew guys, my dad, my sponsors. Um, it's been a whole lot of work, but it's really uh, paying off these last three months. So, so walk us through uh, the weekend there. I mean, you, you, I, from what I understand, your win out there didn't come without some, some uh, little bit of angst. You had some had a mechanical issue or something that you had to fix over the weekend. Right, right. We actually only ran uh, two laps, I believe, in practice, and then uh, the car came to a halt. The RPMs went just skyrocketing up. Oh, and then boy. We, and then come to find out, we uh, we blew something inside the rear end. And um, it actually took like a half an hour to get um, our rear end from the trailer because they don't tend to let you cross the track because we're on the inside of the pits. Okay. They don't really allow you to go out to your truck as the uh, practices are going on. And there was so many cars there. So we had to wait a little bit, and then we were doing pretty good on the rear end. We had it about halfway in, and then my guy, uh, he realized that we had the wrong bracket on. Oh, no. Because it, yeah, because it was the uh, rear end out of our backup car. So we had to just about take the whole rear end back out, which now we're on like an hour. And then we get it in, and the uh, throttle linkage, actually, the mount on that was different. Oh, boy. So we had to take that halfway back out. It was just a big mess. Uh, we missed, what was it, the two sessions of practice. We got, they allowed us to go out for, like, five laps before uh, um, our time trials. So that was good. The car felt pretty good. We were, uh, we were just a little off in time trials. And then come the heat, we were pretty good. It's amazing. I mean, just how much you overcame and, and then went out and won again. That's uh, It's been a, a spectacular late summer into the fall. Um, I know that uh, at this point now, you turn your attention to the dirt car. Uh, you've got a race this coming weekend, you told me. Yep. Actually, today we're going to Albany, Saratoga for a race that we tried. It was like three or four months ago, but it kept raining and raining and raining. So that got rained out a whole bunch of times. So we're going to try it again today. We're starting fifth, I believe. Oh, so wow. Uh, yeah. So this is a uh, this is actually a rain-out makeup. Yes. Okay. <laughs> wow. Wow. So, okay, going racing on a Thursday. Not uh, 
that's a pretty good life you're leading right now, being able to run around, go to Indianapolis, run a race, and come back, go to a race on a Thursday. Pretty cool for 17. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm <laughs> I'm just very humble, and I'm very grateful that I can do what I love. Well, what uh, what have you got coming up after this uh, race with the Dirt Car, then? What's your schedule for, obviously, I know Super Dirt Week, but um, yep. what between now and then, where can we find you? Well, we're going to try to hit as many uh, dirt shows as we can before uh, the Victoria and Dirt Week, just to get some practice on dirt again, because, we, because we've been off for so long. Yeah. Um, I'm just really excited um, to get back on the dirt. We're going to probably do, like, two or three shows before the Victoria, and then we're going to run the Victoria, we're going to run Dirt Week, Charlotte, um, and just try to hit some races here and there. Oh, you are coming to Charlotte for the World Final. Oh, yeah. Excellent. Well, we'll definitely see you there for sure. Um, that's uh, that's great. Um, I know that you can't do any of this by yourself, so uh, who helps you make all this happen? I have to thank my dad. Um is he lets me live out my dreams. Um, I have to thank all my crew. I have to thank, uh, I think, uh, uh, my dad. I have to thank, uh, my crew chief, David. I have to thank my, uh, terror guy, Mike Sturski. Uh, just my other guy that helps with everything. He's been really good. Um, um, uh, Doug, sorry. I have to thank my mom. I have to thank all my sponsors because if, uh, if it wasn't for all them, I wouldn't be able to live out my dream. So. Well, you definitely are doing it in a big-time way with uh, the kind of the two-surface tango here that you're uh, able to, to, to run and now uh, back on the dirt for a while. Um, looking forward to seeing what you can do the rest of the year. Will we be seeing you doing any indoor racing coming up uh, later in the year as we go through the winter? Yep, we're going to run all the indoors on concrete, and then we actually are going to run the one on Trenton, too. Oh, nice. Okay. Very nice. Well, that should be a lot of fun, and uh, certainly wish you all the best. I'm sure we'll be talking to you again, but wanted to congratulate you on a big run at uh, Lucas Oil Raceway Park. That's a a neat deal that they're doing there, and I'm hoping that it continues to build car count-wise and and all of that. And, um, you know, it's certainly a, a, a great thing to see the Supers back in the Indianapolis area. Did you get to tour uh, Indy at all while you were out there? Did you get to see the Speedway or anything? Um, we didn't. We uh, we actually just went to the hotel, eat in the track, eat, and then back to the hotel, and then we were <laughs> on our way home. Wow. Well, and in between, you won a race. So uh, hopefully <laughs> you'll get to make a return trip there at some point and uh, take in the site that is Indianapolis Motor Speedway. But, again, we appreciate you taking some time with us here on The Groove and uh, wish you all the best uh, tonight as this uh, is being recorded on Thursday. All the best tonight in your makeup race and uh, certainly in the dirt car coming up in the next few shows. Uh, thank you very much. That was Tyler Thompson. And, of course, uh Camden Proud joining us now, the PR director and 2019 Super Modified Rookie of the Year at the Oswego Speedway. Camden, uh, what a dream season. I mean, I, you know, Tyler, Tyler's really, I think he's still in that sort of, I'm too shocked to really understand what's happened to me in the last two months mode. I know. It is absolutely unbelievable. I, I mean, what a way to follow up a classic win. They tow all the way out to Indy have the rear end problem in practice and completely turn everything around to go out and win um, at, at Indianapolis Raceway Park, now Lucas Oil Raceway. That's just spectacular. 
Tyler's made so many waves the past few weeks, and I, I hope that he's, you know, enjoying the ride because I, I think that, you know, five years from now, ten years from now, he's going to look back and say, wow, what, what a special, unbelievable couple of weeks that was. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's almost a career for some racers to have that. I mean, we had just we had spoken with Jim Gray earlier in the show, you know, and Jim won one feature at Oswego, which, you know, is an amazing accomplishment. It's like I pointed out to him, of all the drivers that ever set foot onto the racetrack in a race car um, over the, you know, 60-plus year history of the Oswego Speedway, he's in a very small number who've actually won a feature there. You know, and here's Tyler really just having one of those periods that that really are um career making or career defining for the majority of racers and yet at 17 it seems like he's just getting started it does and and that's kind of maybe the scary thing for the rest of us drivers it's it's truly incredible what he's accomplished the past month or so and and you bring up a good point out of the 550 560 drivers we've had race there there's there's only been probably a fifth of them or a little more that have won a feature. And yeah. it, it really, truly, truly, people don't understand what a spectacular accomplishment it is just to win in that division. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, you know, a good race weekend. And like you said, uh, Tyler overcoming some serious rear end issues. I mean, the way he described it for us in great detail that, you know, the, a couple of the brackets didn't fit. So, you know, you got to take everything almost back out again that you just put back in. And you got it just was an amazing um really just feat of of patience and persistence that even put him in a position to go out there and run for a win and they end up taking the trophy home which uh you know again just continues the dream season now he's back on the dirt but the you know the uh the i think that show is a good show and you know i'm hoping obviously as it goes forward we'll get more and more cars to tow out there i know it's tough it's a long haul and it's you know all of that but i think you know, that's a show that can really kind of um, bring super modified racing to an audience that it normally doesn't hit. And being in Indy, you know, you really want that super modified presence there. And since we don't really have a lot of opportunity for the Midwest guys to go run at tracks in that area, um, you know, during the season, I think this show is a really important show. And I'm hoping that over time it will grow. I agree with you, and, you know, I think it will. Obviously, you know, for obvious reasons, Indy's a very big stage for Super Modifieds, yeah. for any division, and to have them back at, at IRP has been fantastic. I, I think the racing has, has been pretty darn good, and I do believe we're going to get more support out there. Um, just unfortunate to see a lot of attrition in the race the other night, but yeah, the, the competition itself was was actually very good and and from what i've heard and saw tyler actually put on a really good show working over mike mcveta and and holding off danny shirey for the win at the end so that's cool and and it sounds like the fans out there really enjoyed it yeah i think so uh you know what i saw was overwhelmingly positive on social media so you know definitely a bucket list for me next year to to go out there and uh be a part of that so um you know great uh, job to everyone who put that show on and uh glad that at least it was a good safe race and congratulations to tyler and the team okay we got about a minute and a half here uh small block supers sps division headed to uh the mills this weekend talk about that yeah, we're really excited to work with the Gill family and, and have this race up at Evans Mills again. It's it's something that 
you know, Mike Bruce is really passionate about this. He's reached out to these tracks for years now, Evans Mills, Spencer. We've tried Adirondack to get some races together, and, and, you know, I have to give him all the credit. He's doing a really good job and, you know, gets me the information, and I put it out. And the information he's given me this week is is pretty darn positive. I think we're going to have 15 or 16 cars up there this weekend. And, nice. You know, that's that's really pretty good postseason race and and a fantastic field for for that little boring up there in, in the north country so i think it's going to be a great time a good show 35 laps and like i said a nice field of cars so if you want to see the small box supers one more time this year we'll have racing underway at 5 30 saturday night okay and uh anything referencing a swiggo or supers or any of the super modified divisions uh, news wise that we need to know about here before we close things up well, just one more race left at, at Thompson next month, yep. and um, we're going to see what happens with that the next few weeks. I, I did see on Facebook last week that Cameron Rowe and RBI Racing, JNS Paving Team, have bought the former Dave Cliff 06. They did, Modify. yes. Yes, so that's that's neat. Cameron, uh, another longtime competitor for many, many years in the limited SBS class and, and now is, is going to be taking on the 350 Super Modified Division as well, I think, doing double duty. Yeah, that should be a lot of fun and uh, glad to have Cameron checking in to uh, the next division up and you know glad that uh, the Cliffs finally could sell that car to someone. Um, I thought that would be a perfect 350 car and I'm glad that it's found a home and uh, also probably just as importantly to a lot of us um, surrounding that general group, so much progress being made on already in terms of locating parts and pieces to restore the uh, 1977 Kemp Dates track championship car and uh, also saw that uh, the Haynes family had given the Dates family uh, the sign that uh, the track hung up after Kemp won the championship in 77. It would have been up there during the uh, 78 season. And I know that just meant a ton to Kempton. So it is just amazing to see the way the community is rallying around this project and helping it to happen, and it looks like uh, there's a uh, at least a good chance that we'll see that car on the track next year at some point um, as the restored championship Red Creek Rocket, which that that would just be incredible. It sure would be. I love it anytime uh, the team bring or family brings out a restore. And Jody Dates is actually the next person I own a phone. I owe a phone call. I'm going to talk to her about that and. You know, I, th- I think they're hoping to have it on the track, maybe at the old-timers reunion. She's working hard about, um, I think I think they're still putting that book together. So yes, it's just a really passionate family, and, and to see Kempton involved and really hands-on in the project is pretty neat. Well, uh, definitely some good times ahead for them as they uh, pour into that project. And, you know, I know that a lot of us older fans are really, really cheering that on and, and excited about it. And so all uh, all seems to be well as we check away from the final race of the year. Well, except Thompson uh, in October. but uh, And we look forward to the SBS race at uh, the Mills. You will have, obviously, all the uh, latest on that on next week's show, Cam. And uh, and are you going up to that event? I will be there. I wouldn't miss it. Well, let's get a winter view for next week's show and uh, make sure we have that as well. So uh, look forward to that. And as always, uh, fun to uh, work with you on this project. And we want to thank our sponsors, IPCIndy.com, and also 
<laughs> excuse me, want to thank uh, the staff at Skip's Fish Fry, Sean and his staff, uh, for being such a huge supporter of this show as well. For Camden Proud, my name is Tom Baker. It has been our pleasure to present episode 20 of Inside Groove. Hard to believe we've done 20 shows, but we're thankful for it. And uh, back next week with a whole fresh episode. We'll see you then. Have a great racing weekend. So long. You've been listening to Inside Groove, powered by IPC Indy, creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Find them on the web at www.ipcindy.com. Inside Groove is a Race Chaser Media production. For more exciting and passionate motorsport content, follow Race Chaser Media on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube, and visit racechasermedia.com. The opinions expressed by our guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff, management, affiliates, or marketing partners of Race Chaser Media. No part of this show may be reproduced in any manner without the expressed written consent of Race Chaser Media. Thank you for listening.